Welcome to Anyone's Game with KC and Andy. This is a podcast to highlight board games from old to new, for newbies to board game nerds like us, games that anyone can play. I'm KC, and that's my brother Andy. Welcome back, everybody. We have a great episode three for you today. Um, we're going to start off with our normal feature called Not So New, where we'll feature uh, games from the past that may have been skipped over that anyone can play. Um, and I have a special kind of sound effect clue for you as to the theme for those Not So New games. <laughs> Is it uh, bees? No, it's not bees. Board games about bees? No, although there are a lot of board games about bees. <laughs> not this time. Okay. <laughs> We're also going to have a very, very special interview with a man named Jeffrey Engelstein. If you know board games, you know Jeffrey Engelstein. He's huge in the board game industry. He's a designer. He literally teaches a class uh, at NYU about how to design board games. He wrote a book on how to design board games, and I think he has... Three degrees from MIT? That's right. He absolutely does. And um, so do we. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's so ironic. Uncanny. And then, of course, the moment everybody was waiting for, we're going to have the winner on the Wheel of Magical Goodness. Yeah, that's right. For everyone that liked the Facebook comment and liked the Instagram comment, we're going to spin the wheel. And if it comes up, you win that game. That's right. Now, you were saying we do have a little bit of a theme. Not bees. <laughs> That's really bad. Sorry. That's not bad. <laughs> okay, that was better. That was better. That sounded just like a Formula One car. <laughs> well, close. Okay, yeah. Well, Andy and his son Lorenzo, who you heard in the last episode, um, started watching Formula One. I knew nothing about it. And so you got me into it. Why did you guys get into Formula One? Uh, you know, um, it actually came from my son playing a Formula One video game and kind of knowing all the racers and all the brands or teams, they're called. Um, and he was talking about it. And and also, um, my wife is happens to be from Europe, and uh, F1 is very big in Europe. So I remembered that, and I'm like, oh, I wonder if I could watch that with Lorenzo as opposed to like doing it in game found it it's got its own obviously it's got its own paper channel and uh we watched it all last year and loved it there's all kinds of cool stuff about formula and we didn't know anything about it's not just cars going around a circle that's for sure and um yeah just really cool and now i'm so in i'm so in and it's funny that we haven't been this into it before because we've gotten really into racing games yeah before. that's right Board games. yeah we really like racing games and um it's just never been as accessible as it is now with you know um different pay per channels and things like that and so yeah it's it's a blast it's a blast and it's also funny because you're a real big sports fan and you yeah. love to watch all kinds of sports i do um i don't watch them as much i follow them as much i'm a cubs fan bears fan because i live uh outskirts of chicago nah, bears <laughs> Exactly, da bears. But I don't watch them all the time. I just don't. It's not something I uh, do as much as you do, um, which is cool. So we have a, a new sport that we can kind of watch and share together and discuss. And that's why we are highlighting these racing games on Not So New. My not-so-new game for episode three is called Formula D. Now, Formula D um, actually was published uh, originally uh, in France under a title called Formula Day, and that's D-E with an apostrophe. Now, that game's out of print, but Asmodee, which everybody's probably heard of at this point, republished it under the title Formula D, a game for uh, eight and up, and you can play anywhere from two players 
to up to 10 players, which means the entire field is filled with F1 cards. And the game is relatively simple because it only takes about 60 minutes to play. Now, that's also depending on how many laps you do, but we'll talk about that in a bit. Formula D transports you into the turbulent world of Formula One. Don't lose control of the engine in the last bottleneck. Master the chicane, stick to your opponent's back wheels, take advantage of the slipstream and then coolly overtake him. A Formula One driver has to be willing to take risks and be able to plan ahead. At least if you want to get to the very top of the winner's podium. <laughs> Were you a world champion F1 driver there? I At least from somewhere in yeah, England. <laughs> somewhere in England. Which is pretend. <laughs> All right. Now, to set up, um, there is obviously a Formula One racetrack that you need to race around. So you, you unfold that board and you put it in the middle of the table. And then each player receives two cars. And they have a relatively the same color. Like they're green with slightly different markings on them or red. Um, but if more players are playing, you can actually just use one car. Um, and one of the amazing things about this game is its production value is each car has a little console or what we call a dashboard. And it has a miniature gear shift to show what gear you're in. And it has pegs to mark wear on the car. So we'll have more on like how wear on your car works later. And one of the other dynamic aspects of this game is the dice that are used in it. Now, believe it or not, this is a roll and move game, and it uses dice that range from D4 to D20. Hey, there it is. Uh-oh. Sorry about that. That is the Gamer Nerd Detector. So if we say anything that is a very hobby game term, like... D20 or D4, we have to explain it for those newbies that are listening to the podcast. What's a D20? So this is really cool because these are really old. Like these originated with Dungeons and Dragons and they're called polyhedral dice, which means it's not just a dice with six sides that goes from one to six. D means die and four means it's a four-sided die or D20 means the die has 20 sides. So, polyhedral? Polyhedral, yeah. Did another, you learn that at MIT? Uh, yes, I did. <laughs> okay, okay, good. So each of these die, they're different colors and they're different sided, represent each gear of your car. Um, you, these are placed out on the table and everybody's ready to start the race. And so you line up just like a F1 race in your positions, your pole positions, and you roll a die to see who gets pole position uh, randomly. Um, now, the way to win the game, really obvious, right? The first person to cross the finish line is the winner. That's true in most raced games, and it's definitely true in F1, and it's true in Formula D as well. So the great thing is on your turn, everybody's starting up on the starting line. The first thing you do is you roll that D20, 20-sided die, and you can get a result from 1 to 20, right? Um, if you roll a 1... Unfortunately, your car stalls out and you lose your first turn, which is a huge bummer. <laughs> if you roll a 20, you have an amazing start and something crazy happens and your accelerator just pops and you get to move four spaces immediately. Like you get a bonus four space move right out of the out of pole position. And then any other result, uh, 2 through 19, and you just have a normal start. And what a normal start is on your turn, you roll the first gear die when you begin the race and you're going to move your car one or two spaces. At that point, you have a choice. On your turn, you can gear up and change the gear to second gear, third gear, fourth, uh, you know, relative to whatever gear you're in. You can stay in the same gear and just roll the same colored die, or you can gear down. In other words, downshift and roll like one less die to slow yourself down. On your turn, you choose to gear up, gear down, or stay the same. You roll the appropriate die for your gear, and you move your car forward. 
That's it. You go around the track doing that until one person crosses the finish line first. That's the game. That It's basically you roll dice and move a car. Now, that simple aspect of rolling the die and moving a car, it makes this really accessible. Anyone can play it, right, Casey? That's exactly right. When you drive around a track at 150 to 200 miles per hour, it's dangerous. So if you're not careful, your car will wear down, become damaged, and then you might even crash. So remember the car console or the dashboard I mentioned earlier? So this is how you track wear on your car. Each car has attributes. So you have tires, brakes a transmission, gears, your body, the actual body of the car, your engine, and your suspension. So the most commonly thing that's worn down in F1 races and in this game are your tires. Um, You wear down tires by not slowing down slow enough when you go into turns. And that's one aspect of the game that is very unique. Each... Yeah, it sounds just like that. And you can make that sound when you don't stop in the turns. (laughs) So turns have a number... Uh, on the actual board, and that's the number of times you have to stop in that turn, in those number of spaces. They could be anywhere from one to three times, which means you have to slow way down and move very slowly through the corners. Because if you don't slow down and you just overshoot a corner, for the number of of squares that you overshoot, your tires lose one point. And guess what? If your tires are at zero and you have to wear down your tires again, kaboom, you crash. (laughs) Okay? So you got to watch your tire wear. And that's just like F1. In fact, they pit to change their tires often um, to make sure that they don't crash. All of that sounds a little complicated, though, with the engine and the tires and the brakes. But it's not really that complicated, is it? It's not because each one is is very noted very specifically on the dashboard. And you only um, use those when you get into a specific circumstance. Now, I won't mention to go through all of them, but the brakes are another one. If you're going really, really fast and you might run into another car or you want to go into a turn and and not go too fast, you can use your brakes. So you basically say, I'm moving two less spaces. You move your peg down on your brake track that number of spaces. And of course, like I've mentioned before, if you have zero brake points, your brakes are gone and you have to brake. <laughs> Yeah, that classic (laughs) sound effect, right? So there are other rules that affect your car attributes. You know, really, um, there's a little more to the game than that. But I'll let you explore the game as you play this game. Explore those rules. There's lots of other rules that you can add, including weather conditions and things like that. I love that you can sort of choose how you want to play the game, too. There are short tracks on it. There's the long track. Oh, we're going to do the whole track through Italy. Or uh, like when we played with uh, your two sons, that... We decided we're going to do two or three laps, whatever. And it took two or three times to continue the game because we're like, let's keep going and just keep racing and make it a long, long race. That's right. It's so fun. It's just so fun. Yeah. And, and in those cases, you have to pit your car. So when you pull into the pit, you oh, get right. a certain number of, of brake points back. And you change your tires. And just like real F1, it's really realistic. Um, and just the fact that each turn you just go, mm, I'm going to go faster or slower, and I'm going to roll a die and then move my car. Right. Simple. <laughs> but yet, if you're playing with more people, like uh, one time I think I played with 10 people, there's cars everywhere. And you get blocked in and you're trying to pass somebody, but you can't. And people are sliding off. And then all of a sudden their car is in the middle of the turn. And it's just, it's great. It's very much like F1. Awesome. Good. Not so new game. That's an excellent, excellent game. You know, it's been one of my favorites for so many years. Absolutely. And I know you have the original version too. I do. Formula Day. Yeah, I'm kind of jelly, but that's okay. (laughs) Formula D, if you want to find it and play it and buy it, you can find it just about anywhere. So uh, first, of course, go to your friendly local game store. If they don't have it, 
check your friendly local game store's e-commerce site. Or you can just type in Formula D on Google, and you'll find it on Amazon, at Target, at Walmart, and independent uh, <laughs> We get it, we get sites. it. You can get it everywhere. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, I know you have this game that I'm going to talk about in Not So New, another racing game. <laughs> this is Downforce. Downforce is a game for two to six players, eight and up, takes about 30 to 45 minutes to play. Published by Restoration Games, it's actually based on an older game called Top Race from 1996, which we had, and my, my sons loved to play that game. So Downforce came out in 2017, so about six years ago, takes, takes it up a couple of notches. In Downforce, well, let's see what it says at the beginning of the rule book. <clears throat> In the world of motor racing, the margin between victory and defeat can be a single moment, a steep banked turn, tires screaming and spitting out smoke, and the downforce pressing you down in your seat and keeping you on the track as you make your move inside to pull ahead. Yeah, I'm so cool. So downforce is a card bidding racing betting game. Players first bid to own your six cars in the race, then you play cards from your hand and speed them around a track. But unlike other racing games like Formula D, like Andy just talked about, in Downforce, you can lose the race, but you can still win the game. What? That doesn't make any sense. Wacky! <laughs> well, this is why. It's all about the money. Here's how you play. You get a hand of cards. They're speed cards. And they have different colors of cars on them with a number showing you how far each of those cars will move. Those are speed lines. But before you race, you have to use those cards to bid and get your cars in the auction. So there are six colored cars in the game. The first car card is drawn and a special power card, which will give you different abilities. But then every player secretly places a card from their hand face down in front of them to bid for that car. Then you simultaneously flip them over, and whoever has the highest speed line matching the color of that car that's up for bid will win the auction, get the car, and that power card as well. For instance, if the green car is up for auction and you win the bid with a card listing five green speed on it, well, guess what? You just spent five million bucks to get that car. But don't worry, you're going to try to win that money back. So you'll probably own more than one car during the auction, but you're only able to keep one of those power cards that were flipped over to use during the race. And those power cards, they'll give you cool, simple abilities, like if your car lands on a rectangular space, it could move two more spaces, things like that. Now, once the auction is all over, you guys have your cars, it's time to race. There's a board with this sweet racetrack on it. You put the cars in their starting spots and the green flag waves. So on your turn, you play a card out of your hand, and you move all of the cars the distance of their speed line number. Now, most of the cards also will move your opponent's cars as well. Some cards have all six cars moving. Some will have two. And this is where the strategy comes in of what cars to move and where to move them. Because in downforce, this is how you're going to win. you got to make money. And you'll make money for how high your car places at the end of the race. But you can also make a lot of money by bidding on the right car during the race. There are three yellow lines that cross the track at different times of the race. So when the first car crosses that line, everyone stops and you get to bet on the winner, even if it's not your car. And then the race continues. So after all three betting rounds of the cars cross the finish line for the checkered flag, we total the money. This is how this works. The winning cars 
first through fifth place get their payout, millions of dollars. Then you look at what everyone secretly bet on to win, what cars. And if you bet right, you make money for those. Then, of course, you subtract the money you spent at the beginning auction, what you paid for your cars. That is the total winnings for the game. And if you have the most money, you win and you shake up huge bottles of champagne to spray all over the place. <laughs> that sounds so fun. That's right. <laughs> and the base game comes with two different tracks on either side of the board, um, sort of like Formula D. But there are expansions that bring really fun new tracks. Andy, you and I played one where... Uh, there were pits, like you're falling into a pit. There's one, I think, from Africa where there's like elephants and other animals on the track that you have to drive around. Watch out for the wildebeest, yes. So Andy, you and I have played this game a lot. What keeps you coming back to Downforce? So aside the fact that I'm really bad at it, and I can't seem to win. <laughs> so it doesn't just rely on your ability to race. I wasn't going to say that part. It's okay. It's fun. It's fun to lose in this game too. But um it really relies on your ability to um, to play cards well, to make sure that you're not just your car isn't just winning, but betting on the correct cars. And, mm -hmm. and again, you said this. Uh, it's not just a race game. It's actually a game where you're you're bidding and you're betting on which car is going to win. And I I'm confounded every time that first time the car crosses that yellow line and you have to bid on the winning car not the car that's going to be in that's in first place now right the one that will be in first place in like 35 <laughs> or 40 minutes from now i'm like what how can you possibly and it seems like you you really are are shooting the moon there and you do get the most points for for that guess right that right if you guess the correct winning car you get the most money right. really from there it really dictates i love how it dictates how you play your cards because then you're in you're in it right you you set a certain car that's going to win mm -hmm. now you really have to try to make sure that car wins and make sure other people's don't. And that's what I love about it is that you're not just focused on your car and you going fast around a track. I love that because like if I have the green car and you have the red car and I see that you're, you may be winning this race, then I may be able to bet on you and move your car further than mine, even block mine, so that you win the race, but I end up winning the game. Yeah, you can manipulate other people's cars, which is crazy, right? It's so cool. <laughs> and at the beginning of it, I mean, it all comes down to the beginning of the auction. How much are you willing to go in the hole, millions of dollars, to get these cars? Sometimes you may only want one car or two cars. You may want a bunch of cars. It's just a really cool game that's so unbelievably different every single time we play it. Downforce, it's on Restoration Games' website. That's where you can get it. Uh, of course, at your friendly local game store or just pretty much online anywhere. Play it. It's really fun. That's Downforce. And now this is the first time that we've ever had a very special guest on Anyone's Game with Casey and Andy. And man, is he special. He's our classmate from MIT. <laughs> uh, not quite. So Jeff Engelstein, uh, again, award-winning uh, game designer. Um, he's designed games such as Space Cadets, uh, Pit Crew, and a popular one from WizKids called The Expanse, based on the television show. You know, I first encountered him when I listened to his podcast, um, he started contributing to the Dice Tower uh, podcast back in 2007, and he had his own podcast called Ludology, which means the study of games, back in 2011. Um, loved his podcast because rather than reviewing games, he really just talked about the mechanics of games and how they work. That is really cool, but we'll dumb him down a little bit. On Anyone's Game with Casey and Andy, please welcome to the show, Jeff Engelstein. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. It is really good to meet you. Thanks for being on the show. So we're focusing on games that anyone can play, obviously, the name of the podcast. What is a Jeffrey Engelstein not-so-new game 
that you would pull off the shelf and say, hey, anybody can learn this and anybody can play? Uh, well, if it's if you're aiming for families, um, which is a lot of time we do when we have guests over and stuff like that, uh, one that I love is called uh, Hare and Tortoise. It was the first uh, game that won the very prestigious uh, Spiel des Jahres Award in Germany. Oh, no, Jeff. Jeff, you just set off our GND, the uh, gamer nerd detector. So you said Spiel des Jahres in Germany. Uh, what Jeff's talking about is translated as Game of the Year. It's been around for a long time. Uh, they give uh, awards away every year for best card game and family game and strategic game. And if you win Game of the Year, that is a huge deal. And Heron Tortoise won the first, like you said, uh, back in 1979, right? Yeah. It's been pretty much in print in various forms since then. And it's great because it's a simple kind of a looking game. It, there's a track that you move around and, and you start at the beginning and the first person to reach the end wins the game. And you get carrots. You have to move your, uh, uh, move your rabbit piece by playing carrots. But it's, it's, it's very tricky because you can move as many spaces as you want to move based on how many carrots you want to pay. But the further you want to move, the more carrots you have to pay. Uh, so you can... I know, just save up all your carrots and then make one big giant move, or you can try to move a little bit each turn, or you can kind of move in fits and starts. So there's a lot going on for the player that's really interested in, in focusing on, you know, strategy and thinking about it. But, you know, if you're just sitting down to it, it's very non-intimidating. It just looks, it's got little, you know, cute little bunny pieces and you're just collecting carrots and trying to eat your lettuce. Everyone starts with lettuce and you have to eat your lettuce before you can go home. You know, for, for families, it's a very approachable game, but it kind of hints at the the depth that's out there if you want to really start exploring. I love playing this one with, with our kids. We used to play all the time and with, with other kids because it really gets them to think. You know, it gets them to start, you know, you don't have to plan, but it starts, you know, they, they start seeing the outlines of it and they can kind of have that sense of discovery of, oh, you know, maybe this is a turn I should save my carrots. And and you can move backwards even to earn even more carrots, right? So you can move backwards and then forward and stuff like that. So it just introduces them very easily to a lot of these, uh, a lot of these concepts. And making decisions and, and finding out uh, what a good decision and, and, and the repercussions. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. yeah. And especially in our family where we never, ever, ever let our kids win ever. <laughs> they had to earn it. They had to earn it the old fashioned way. We let them get close. You know, we didn't just stomp all over them, but, you know. At about what age were they when they caught on that uh, you weren't letting them win? So they really had to, you know, kind of push back a little bit. <laughs> oh, no, they always knew that. We were very oh. clear about that from the beginning. So when they won, which which definitely happened, uh, you know, when they won uh, uh, their fair share of games, they knew that they had earned it. They had not, you know, it was not a pity win. <laughs> Hare and Tortoise, good one for not so new, Jeff. Now that you've talked about kind of a game that's not so new, now we kind of want to turn it around and feel like, uh, see if there's a game that's come out recently um, that might be new within the last year or so that you feel is completely accessible. Maybe you've brought out at one of the you know family get-togethers that's easy to play and that you enjoy. This game totally fits um, the, the criteria of uh, a game that I bring out to, to show people and play. And it's, again, very accessible. It has, has a lot of depth of play. And that is Foundations of Rome. It's uh, by Emerson uh, Matsuuchi designed it, who also did Century Road, which also fits into that same category. I guess I, I could recommend that one also, because the main knock on Foundations of Rome is that it is very pricey. It's a very <laughs> elaborate game. Uh, there's a lot of plastic pieces and things like that. But the gameplay is extremely simple. Um, you're basically, you know, you 
with cards um, that, that you have a grid of your city uh, and and there's a you know card that represents each intersection much like a choir for those of you that played that old game uh, from Sid Saxon going way back old, old game about all, to be republished again I, I saw yes, the news. yes yes so that's okay. that's another good one if you're looking for the kind of that, that vintage feel of, of that's a very approachable game but this one is even simpler than acquire foundations of Rome. So you're basically trying to acquire adjacent lots to match the shapes of your buildings. So you can place them onto the board and then you get points based on the types of buildings that you put on and what they're next to and things like that. So again, very simple, very easy to explain to people what, what they're supposed to do. Um, but, but has a lot of, of depth of gameplay. Uh, so that's uh, foundations of Rome. I would, I would not hesitate to, to bring that up to people. Like I said, the only hesitation I have a little bit is that it is, it's not an inexpensive game. It's a, they definitely lavished. It's a very lavish production. I can see. I'm looking at the at the pictures of it right now. I can see why it's so expensive. It's beautiful. It's just stunning to look at all the 3D pieces and it looks like a huge city. Very, very cool. That, that's right. They pulled out all the stops in the production of this. And when you walk by it, it the, the game box itself, it looks like it's about two feet by two feet wide. <laughs> You're trying to figure out how you would ever fit this on a game shelf or home in your car or in your game bag. <laughs> and um, yeah, and uh, you look at it and it's just amazingly beautiful uh, because of the all of the buildings um, are really sculpted well and... But again, as you said, the everything I've heard said that it's one of the simplest games to learn, one of the one of the easiest and most accessible games to play. So that's cool. Now, when you were growing up, um, you know, Andy and I, we've talked about different games that inspired us to become the big gamer nerds that we are. What game, when Jeffrey Engelstein was growing up, said, "Wow, I love board games." What was what was that one or two that sparked that interest? Um, I always played games. Um, you know, my family, we used to play games, the classics and stuff like that. But I, I, you know, I, even before I got into, you know, kind of the first real, what I would call what I would call serious games, like diplomacy and things like that, when I was like, you know, in, in, at like 12 or 13 years old, but even before that, I just loved what I like to call the gadget games. You know, there was games that just had such interesting components and stuff like that. And that's what always <laughs> attracted me of the different ways that they used them. And one that I remember, which actually was a really good game in a, in itself, at least I remember it was. Uh, is this game called King Oil. I have it. I have King Oil. You have King <laughs> he, Oil? He has King Oil. Yes, he does. I wow. have King Oil in my... <laughs> yes, it's in my little game storage over there. Okay. King Oil is where you're literally going around drilling for oil, right? Right. So it's... For those that haven't seen the game, it's it's like a squarish game board, but very thick because underneath it are these three discs that you spin. Um, and there's holes in the board. And so you like spin the discs and that randomizes them in terms of what, what holes in those discs line up with what holes are in the, uh, in the board. And eventually, you know, what you do is you're trying to drill for oil and you have this little oil rig that's got a pin that sticks down in it. And you just, you put it, you put the oil well in the, over the hole and you see, you know, if it's a gusher, you know, if the, the pin sticks all the way up, it pops out the top of the oil well, or it sinks all the way down and it's empty, or it's just such a creative game that's just, you know, it's that just that little twist of, you know, the way you spin those discs and, you know, can randomize the game each time. That's just, um, I, I just love that kind of thing that that really attracts me. So there's a, there's a lot of games, particularly from like the 70s and the 80s that had all these little gimmicky, gimmicky plastic things. Not that it's kind of like some crazy fantasy of mine to sit down and play an old 1980s game with you, but I'd really like to sit down and play a 90, old 1980s game with you sometime. I don't know where that would happen. Codename Sector. <laughs> Gotta get one that still works, right? When I was a kid, I used to play Codename Sector without the board. I just used to watch the display, just 
just use this play and keep track of it in my head. That's how I. That was. My oh head. no. Okay. That's well, how you get into MIT. Got it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's part of the application process, right? I'll see. I'll leave it there. <laughs> um, I have to ask you if you uh, if you don't mind. We're taking up a lot of your time, but um, if you were to uh, approach somebody, or if somebody were to approach you that doesn't know a lot about board games, maybe it's a gaming group at a board game cafe, and you're going to pull out a game and explain it. What's something you would tell somebody to be like, hey, you're going to love this game. Jump in and you know, we're not going to sit down and read 40 pages of rules. What would you say to people like that? Well, I mean, I think the, the, the most important thing when, I, when I'm sitting down with a group or we're having some people over something and we want to play a game is, is, is you know, being a good game concierge. And, and selecting the right game for the crowd and for the moment and, you know, for the time you've got and for, you know, how, how much, how many drinks people have had or whatever, right? I mean, <laughs> you've got to, you know, like you mentioned earlier that, oh, you, you know, Jeff, you, you, you know, you play all these, these war games and these really complicated games and stuff like that. Well, yeah, but I, you know, I, I love the simple games also. And, you know, and, and I hear stories where, you know, people have a, another couple over and just out of the blue, you know, they like pull Puerto Rico off the shelf or something and like, hey, let's learn this, right? And, and you know, and it's not what you want to do, right? You've got to match it to the occasion. Um, we've been, we've yeah. been enjoying just one. My son just got engaged and right before that, he, he had a big, he had to go to his uh, future in-law's house for Christmas or something, and he, he brought with him just one, and that was a huge success, right? Yeah, and that was, you know, because none of them were game players, none of them was, you know, and it was just like, hey, it's it's great because you can drop in and drop out, you know, it's you can come over, you can wander over the table. That's what's great also by like a code names or a um, wits and wagers is I love games where people can come in in the middle and just like kibitz and lean over the shoulder and stuff like that. I, I think for, for the more casual game, that's such an important characteristic. So That's an interesting dynamic I never really thought about is being able to come in and out of a game. Um, I never heard it described that way. For those games, you literally can walk away and come back and lean over and, and join in without any repercussions of like the game falling off the rails because someone's not taking their turn or not being responsible, you know, on their phone, whatever. But that's a great, that's a great um, differentiation for a game that's, that's a, makes a great game that anyone can play because you can hop in and out. It's great. So Jeff, we know you're a great game designer, been in the business for a long time. We have to allow you a chance to give a plug to something you might be working on right now that we can get excited about. <laughs> so um, tell us a little bit about anything you've been working on that you're looking forward to coming up. Sure. Um, well, the most recent games I have that have come out um, are the Super Skill Pinball series, which takes, uh, you know, basically creates a board game that lets you play pinball. It's, it's very quick, uh, fast playing. People are really enjoying it. We've had four different versions of it come out already. Uh, the last two is we had a, um, a Star Trek pinball version. Each each set comes with four different pinball tables, uh, so there's a lot of a lot of gameplay in a, in a very small package. Um, and the the most recent one just this past November was uh, the the holiday special where we highlighted three Christmas movies in the pack. So there's a, um, a pinball table for Christmas Story, one for National Improved Christmas Vacation, and one for Elf. So that's been a lot of fun to design, and we've got some new ones that I'm, I'll, I'll drop that little tidbit. New ones I'm working on that hopefully will be coming out over the summer before the end of the year. Oh, that's so sweet. I can't wait to play those. Um, please check out Jeff Engelstein's games. I put a link to all of his games in the podcast description, so go get some of them or all of them because they're awesome. And Jeff, I can't thank you enough for being our first guest 
on anyone's game with Casey and Andy. Yeah, congratulations. I'm not sure if it'll be a dubious distinction or not, but... Um... <laughs> <laughs> well, but, I, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's a distinction that no one can take away from me, at least. I know that. <laughs> we save the best for first. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jeff. So, Andy, let's go over the uh, games that Mr. Engelstein talked about, like... Hare and Tortoise. Hare and Tortoise was most recently reprinted by Yellow Games. That's I-E-L-L-O. Uh, you might remember them. They're famous for the King of Tokyo game. Oh, I love that game. We haven't talked about that one yet. We'll get to it in a future episode. Um, and yeah, you can find that online for anywhere between 24 to $34, something online. And I- ironically, a theme of our show was race games. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also a race game. One of the earliest races run. The Hare and the Tortoise. Then in his This Just In game, a newer game that we would all love, is Foundations of Rome. So where can we get that one? Oh, uh, Casey, you can get that for the low, low bargain price of only $650 on eBay right now. (laughs) So clearly Jeff's in another tax bracket. Well, that's what three degrees from MIT gets you right there. There you go. That's right. But that said, it is a really simple game to play, and um, we're really hoping that Arcane Wonders reprints it in a less expensive version. (laughs) That'd be great. I'd like to actually be able to play that one day. And then he went Vintage View, which... I didn't know what he was going to talk about. I couldn't believe he mentioned King Oil, which I have in my attic. I've got to pull that out. You know, I've actually never played it because I just thought this is one of those to put away. Can you get King Oil? Uh, you can. Um, not too bad. On eBay, it's ranging anywhere from $40 up to mint copies, uh, over $100. But yeah, you, there's multiple copies on eBay. You can get that uh, pretty easily. Sweet. Thanks for looking that up, dude. So that brings us to the big giveaway. Andy, what are we giving away on the wheel? We are giving away a copy of Ink and Gold by Eagle Griffin Games, mint condition, in the box, sealed. Of course it is. It's brand new. <laughs> it's not an auction house or anything. But anyway, it is Ink and Gold. Which you highlighted in our last Anyone's Game, which is just a really cool game where you go uh, use cards, you go down looking for treasure, try to get out. It's a push-your-luck game, as uh, Andy explained That's before. Right. So let's spin the Wheel of Magical Goodness! And the winner is Amanda Tangway. Hey, congratulations, Amanda. You are first winner on the Wheel of Magical Goodness on Anyone's Game with Casey and Andy. And thank you for listening to the podcast. You are obviously awesome. Well, this was a huge episode. We had games to talk about, uh, Formula D and Downforce. We had a special guest, a giveaway. What's on the next episode, Andy? Well, next episode, we are absolutely going to feature two more not-so-new games that anyone can play. Mm -hmm. And, of course, we're going to announce a new prize on the Wheel of Magical Goodness. I'm sorry. It's called the Wheel! Magical goodness. <laughs> okay, okay. Right. I'm not doing that. We'll see you next time on Anyone's, Anyone's Game, Game with, with Casey, Casey and Andy. Andy.